Blockchain is here, but are banks and financial services organizations ready? There's some confusion still as to what blockchain is, but even more uncertainty as to what will happen in the years ahead as the technology reaches full steam. Here to sort it out, we have blockchain expert Steve Ehrlich. Welcome to BAI Banking Strategies where each week we'll focus on the key issues facing financial services leaders. We'll bring you objective opinions and actionable insights that'll help you power smart decisions. I'm your host, Lou Carlozo, the Managing Editor of BAI. Come on in. Thanks for tuning in. It's great to have you here with us. Our podcast posts on Mondays, and you can check us out through iTunes podcast app, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. And on today's podcast, we have an expert in the area of blockchain, Steve Ehrlich, the lead analyst for emerging technologies at Spitzberg Partners, a boutique firm headquartered in New York City that advises technology and financial services firms on innovation goals and strategies to navigate political and regulatory hurdles worldwide. And Steve, thanks for making the time. Great to have you here on the podcast. Thanks for having me. As you look at the banking industry today, what do you think some of the biggest challenges around securing data happen to be? That's a great question. Data has really kind of become the lifeblood of many industries, and the financial sector is certainly one of them. When we look at data, we look at securing it actually as just one part of the the problem. Simply put, It's something that has to be top-down from firms' leadership. The guidance has to be disseminated through the entire ranks, and there needs to be appropriate measures taken as far as IT security architecture to ensure that it appropriately matches the risks and threat profiles that a given organization faces. So blockchains really come up quickly. Take us through the past few years up to the present. Blockchain really started to become part of our lexicon in 2013. That's when... Bitcoin, the cryptocurrency that runs on top of the original blockchain, saw a massive price appreciation to over $1,000 a Bitcoin. However, Bitcoin faced a number of challenges, many of which were from a political and regulatory point of view as to how governments were going to treat it for tax purposes or or whether or not it was even legal to, to custody and transact. But once you kind of peeled back and understood that Bitcoin was really just an application on top of this thing called the blockchain, people realized that there are a number of different applications for it. And at its core, a blockchain, or the Bitcoin one in particular, is just a way of transacting and trading and securing scarce digital goods or just data in a trustless environment. And and that's a pretty powerful thing. It was easy to match it to a number of pain points and problem sets that have been affecting the financial sector. And this could be anything from, from payments to the clearance and settlement of securities. There was a recent survey put up by Deloitte that indicates that among financial services executives, 60% don't quite know what blockchain is, but they uh, need to undertake initiatives with it. Maybe you can briefly take us through what the difference is between blockchain and Bitcoin. Sure. So Bitcoin, it's decentralized because there is no central issuer. And I like to use it as a point of comparison, something like airline miles or rewards points when you go to Starbucks or Panera, because, I mean, that is a form of digital currency, for lack of a better word. But there is one party that controls how it's created, who gets what. The blockchain is the rails. 
the Bitcoin blockchain in particular is really just an immutable ledger where transactions are grouped together in blocks and then sequentially added on top of each other. The Bitcoin blockchain or any blockchain really is immutable. And what that means is that once data has been added to the blockchain, it cannot be corrupted, it cannot be removed, it cannot be edited, it can only be updated. And that combined with the speed at which transactions can be cleared and added are really like the two main properties that make blockchain such a powerful tool. One thing I wanted to bring up about Bitcoin is this incredibly odd history. So we know that Bitcoin begins with this white paper by Satoshi Nakamoto. But as far as anyone knows, Satoshi Nakamoto doesn't exist. It might be a person. It might be a group of people. Attempts by reporters to identify the guy have all failed. It's not part of any central bank. It's not part of any government. It is documented that at the start, drug dealers and people dealing in all sorts of black market activity loved Bitcoin. How is anybody supposed to trust Bitcoin? That's a great point trying to find out who um, that person or group of people may be has really kind of led to a lot of speculation. Last year, there was a lot of talk that it was someone based down in Australia called Craig Wright, but I think that's been debunked. But it really is kind of ironic in a way. One of the main reasons Bitcoin got the critical mass necessary to kind of achieve scale and beat the chicken and egg problem is because it was used for Silk Road and a lot of illicit transactions that could not be part of the traditional monetary system. But if you talk to some people who are really strong Bitcoin advocates, I mean, they'll come back and say, tell me what currency is used most often in the world for illicit trafficking, illicit use. And the answer is the U.S. dollar. So they'll say that fact in and of itself should not invalidate Bitcoin. That's got to be comforting for financial services organizations to know. In terms of overlooked factors that can make a big difference in how banks address blockchain. What do you think is worth pointing out? There's a few problems or inhibitors that I've found when discussing blockchain with banks as it pertains to their adoption. For one, there is no killer use yet. I think the biggest thing to keep in mind right now is, is to have a little bit of perspective as it pertains to blockchain. Its current state of development at this point is really similar to the internet when the TCP IP protocol was created in the uh, 1970s. It's almost like a Napster to today's iTunes. So it still has a long way to go. I, I think it's important to not let the hype get so out of perspective that it leads to deflated expectations. I believe that there is significant value in this technology as it relates to resiliency, continuity of operations, and also just being able to move data, move money, move financial instruments around the world, around the financial industry much faster and much more transparently, which can help alleviate uh, future financial crises or just help banks with their own liquidity, cash management, or just the overall security of their data. But we're not quite there yet. And yet, as we talked about before the podcast, there's also this imperative for financial institutions to start their learning process now if they haven't done so already. At this point, it's important for institutions that are evaluating the technology, there's a few things that we recommend. I mean, for one, it's very important to educate yourselves about the different solutions out there, the different technologies out there, or kaleidoscope that's out there. So it's important to go to conferences and read and listen to podcasts and really just try to educate yourself. 
because at some point you're going to have to be able to match these technologies to pain points in your business. And it can be anything from offering an international payments corridor to your clients or creating a new remittance service or just building resiliency into your data management operations or one use case that's getting a lot of attention is data management and auditability. For example, in Europe, regulators are going to require that companies can verifiably demonstrate that they're adhering to data protection regulations. And if you can log all of your data processing activities onto a blockchain that by its very definition is immutable, I mean, that's a pretty powerful tool to to demonstrate your compliance. How about insofar as financial services organizations getting ready to make the leap into blockchain? It's also very important for companies to identify pathways to production level integration. As many of your listeners probably know, it's a big step from a pilot or a proof of concept to actually sort of taking the training wheels off and throwing it into the deep end of the pool. So it's important. And and I think from an adoption point of view, we're not going to turn on the switch one day and say blockchain is ready. There's going to be certain use cases, payment corridors, or just applications that inch ahead of the others. And then at some point, I think other applications are going to catch up. If we were to look at blockchain, say, three to five years from now or decade from now, what might we expect to see? There are a number of the companies that we're talking about today probably won't be in business. That's just the nature of any any particular type of technology. It, it, it's going to be hard to tell. I mean, for all I know, we, we have trouble at this point even deciding what makes a blockchain, especially once we start talking about permission ledgers, proprietary ledgers, and the other term that's thrown around a lot is distributed ledger technology. But what my expectation is, is that 10, 15, 20 years from now, if this technology is adopted and gets widely used, people aren't going to be saying, we're using blockchain, we're using distributed ledger. They're just going to say, we're going to use this application. And they don't care about the back end. I mean, if you go to somebody in the street today and ask them how email works, they'll tell you that they type something in Gmail and click send. They can't talk to you about SMTP or anything else like that. And I hope that if blockchain is going to work, it's going to be the same way. But expectations as far as security and ease of use and speed are going to be permanently heightened. Steve, thank you so much. Some fantastic observations on blockchain. Clearly, a technology that is emerging and that is coming into maturity. Thanks for spending time with us today on the program. Thanks for having me. Truly a pleasure. Steve Ehrlich is the lead analyst for emerging technologies at Spitzberg Partners, a boutique corporate advisory firm headquartered in New York City. Be sure to look for Steve on LinkedIn. And here are today's three key takeaways from our podcast. Number one, many people in financial services have used the terms Bitcoin and blockchain interchangeably, but they're in fact two different things. Bitcoin is a decentralized digital cryptocurrency. Blockchain is a public ledger that connects computers to transact and secure digital data. Number two, don't let the hype surrounding blockchain either intimidate or seduce you. Have some perspective. Blockchain as a technology is still developing and at a level that's reminiscent of the earliest stages of the internet in the 1970s. And number three, 
It is crucial at this point in time to educate yourself about the various technologies involved in blockchain. Go to conferences, read up, talk to colleagues, and as you do, keep in mind blockchain is a technological tapestry that embraces a wide area of financial services concerns, from new remittance, to resiliency, to security, to data manageability. The potential blockchain holds to transform the banking industry is tremendous. And turning to the subject of financial wellness, uh, last year I had the chance to interview Laura Putnam. She's the author of Workplace Wellness That Works, and here's what she had to tell me about the subject. She said, more than 80% of U.S. employers offer some type of wellness program Financial wellness, which is closely connected to productivity, sleep, and stress, is one of the biggest trends that we're seeing now in workplace wellness. You might ask what that has to do with banks and financial institutions. Well, it turns out plenty. We recently caught up with Rochelle Naraki Gori. She's the co-founder of Spring 4 in Chicago. And here's what she had to say about consumers and their struggle for financial wellness and the connection it has with the financial institutions that serve them. Listen. Almost half of Americans live paycheck to paycheck and can't afford a $400 unexpected expense. Think about all of the things that go into their household budget for the month. Anything from paying groceries to paying their utility bills, paying for prescription drug costs. Financial wellness is really at the center of everyone's life. And I believe that in the next 10 years, we're going to see financial wellness be everywhere from your employer to your banker to school. Often I think the focus is on what financial product can we provide people to make a difference but just think about how a consumer spends their day and all of the things that may or may not get in the way of them leading a successful financial life and make it possible for them to access financial products that maybe they wouldn't have qualified for before i mean if you're working with a bank and they are listening and they hear what is behind your financial challenge and they help connect you to resources that improve your situation, you're going to feel much better about continuing to bank with that organization and perhaps even qualify for additional financial products. Now you're saving $300 a month, your credit score goes up, and you're able to move up that ladder to better financial products, lower interest rates. It's a win-win. Some revealing insights there from Michelle, and whether it's financial wellness, blockchain, or any of the other subjects we've been covering on the podcast, I'd love to hear from you. Feel free to drop me a line. My email address is l-c-a-r-l-o-z-o at bai.org. And thanks again for tuning in. Be sure to tune in to another podcast next week. I'm Lou Carlozo, the managing editor at BAI. We'll see you soon. So long.